Well, praise the Lord. What's great, great worship, and I'm so glad that you joined us to worship along with us today. Um, happy Fourth of July, everybody. This is the weekend that we celebrate America, and we celebrate our freedom, and we celebrate unity in the United States of America, and how awesome is that? I just need to tell you that um, today I have very mixed emotions, because the 4th of July is like one of the greatest holidays that I, I love it. I love the 4th of July, always have, always will. Um, but we, as you all know, we were hoping to all be together today, um, regathering the church back together and worshiping together. And we had such great plans and great exciting things on the 4th of July weekend, and um, it didn't come to pass. And so I've got a lot of mixed emotions because of that side of things as, uh, as your pastor and um, as a church. But I've also, in, in the mix of all of my excitement about the 4th of July and uh, gathering together or not gathering together, um, I'm also very frustrated in my spirit. And... Uh, I'm, I'm going off of the plans that I had for today. We were going to um, be in the book of Genesis in our Joseph study and talk about the ultimate family reunion. We're going to do that next week instead because I feel like the Lord has laid on my heart some things to say to you um, that are pertinent to the things that we're seeing happen in our nation and our world right now. And so why not talk about the things that are current, the things that are all of us might be a little mixed up in our emotions about and frustrated about and maybe even anger coming out in us because of the things that are happening all around us. You know, the 4th of July, um, uh, can I say this? Can I, it's supposed to be a day that we all, all of us, Americans, all of us who live in this nation and are citizens of this nation or who aren't citizens of this nation but choose this to be a great place to live and I really want to live here, it is a time, the 4th of July, when all of us, every single one of us, is supposed to celebrate our nation's birthday. It's a time when we're all, we choose one day a year to celebrate the freedom and the unity that we have and in the middle of all of that, right now, for a lot of different reasons, there are those who, while living free because of the sacrifices made to provide that freedom for them, are trying to tear down our freedom and tear down our unity to the ground. That frustrates me. Because our founding fathers wrote a constitution that exists to, and I quote, form a more perfect union. Interesting word choice. That's what we're all about. I don't know about you, but I grew up pledging allegiance to a flag that meant something. Do you remember, do any of you remember, I mean, every day we would start pledging allegiance to our flag, the flag of the United States of America. That's what I pledge to, and I still do. Not pledging allegiance to a flag of a divided, united, no, that doesn't work, a, divi a divided states of America. I pledged allegiance to a republic representing one nation under one God indivisible, not divisible. Right? Right? One nation, right? See, right now, I feel like going out and screaming. We are one nation under God, under the one true living God. That's how we were founded. And it's working if we'll let it work. I pledged my allegiance to a flag that represents life, liberty, and justice for all. I grew up singing 
an anthem entitled America the Beautiful. I love that song, and every time I sing it, or songs like I'm proud to be an American, chills go up and down my spine and tears come to my eyes every time I sing words like America, America, God shed his grace on thee and crown thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. That's the whole nation, my friends. I feel like Jeremiah this week. He was frustrated with what was happening in the nations around him, and he was frustrated about what was happening and what he was seeing, even within God's own people. Jeremiah, the great prophet of old of the Old Testament, he wrote these words in Jeremiah 12, 1 and 2. Let me bring you this complaint. Now, he's talking to God, and this is where my heart has been this week. Let me bring you this complaint, God. Why are the wicked so prosperous? Why are evil people so happy? I mean, you can literally almost write that today. He goes on in verse 2, and he says, You've planted them, and they have taken root and prospered. Your name is on their lips, but you are far from their hearts. What a heartbreaking time it was in Jeremiah's time for him to write these words. But what's interesting to me is that in verse 5, God's response, because God didn't say, I get it, Jeremiah, I'll fix everything today, just don't worry about it. You wake up tomorrow morning, everything's going to be fine, everything's going to be fixed, you're going to be back to being happy, which I think Jeremiah wouldn't have minded. I'm going to answer all your questions, and you're going to be able to figure it all out tomorrow. He didn't say that. This is how he responded to Jeremiah's complaint to God. He says, Jeremiah, if racing against mere men makes you tired, how will you race against horses? If you stumble and fall on open ground, Jeremiah, what will you do in the thickets near Jordan? In other words, Jeremiah... Listen to me, son. Things aren't going to get better and better. They're going to get worse and worse. And if you're going to stumble right now, and if you're, if you're going to get tired racing against the things that are happening right now, then you aren't, you aren't going to be able to do anything in the future as it comes. He goes on to say, your brothers are going to mistreat you, and they're going to talk negatively about you and tell you, they aren't going to tell you the truth about your circumstance but you don't need to worry about that. You need to follow me. I will give you the strength. We're just saying about it. The great I am is our God and our Father. And he's got it all under control. In fact, this is what came to me also this week, Proverbs 24.10, which is a familiar verse to me. It says in my Bible study Bible at home, you are a poor specimen of a man if you can't stand the pressure of adversity. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, my brothers and sisters, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. In other words, whatever is going on, and he, he was, Paul was writing this to the people, the Christians at Corinth, a very hard place to live for your, live out your faith. And he was saying to them, listen, my brothers and sisters, stand firm and always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. You just be, be about the Lord's work and I'll take care of everything else. Your labor is not in vain. All the things that you're doing right now and you're working for the Lord, just keep it up. Because everything that the Lord is doing through you and wanting to do through you will not return to him empty. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 6, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Now listen to this. This is a very important chapter, a verse for us. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Now what we know the Bible is teaching us here, and Paul wants us to understand here, is that this is, this is the law of sowing and reaping. And if you sow to please your flesh, or anybody does, 
then from the flesh you will reap destruction, but whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Great verses. (laughs) You might be saying, Phil, is this really, this is so elementary. Yeah, it really is, but this is what I really needed this week. On many levels, I really needed this this week. And this verse came to me, 1 Corinthians 16, 13, where Paul says, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, and stand up and make everybody hear what you think. Stand up and tell everybody that your way is the right way and make sure everybody hears you, no matter what you have to do, make sure they hear your voice. You go out there and get everything you want and you stand strong and you stand firm because your happiness is at stake if you don't. That is not what that passage says. But that's how we live sometimes. And that's how our world is living all the time. But the reality is this. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. And here's the key. Do everything in love. Everything in love. To meet or not to meet? Ah, that is the question, isn't it? To reopen or not reopen? To mask or not to mask, those are the questions. Don't touch your face! (laughs) My goodness, how have I survived my whole life? Because I never knew I wasn't supposed to touch my face until now. And what I want to say to you is there is so much diversity around this whole subject. How in the world did I, my brain is so frustrated because how did I ever survive childhood? I ate dirt till I was 10 years old. I sat next to kids every day that picked their nose and ate their boogers all the time. How did we ever survive those days? I lived before the days of of pump sanitizer and I lived before the days of people having like uh, Clorox wipes in your car and you have to wipe everything down all the time and we have to be so sterile on everything and don't get around me don't touch your face what is happening to us man you're not very sensitive phil We're going to talk about that this morning because I have opinions, you have opinions, and I am, I've had conversations with other pastors who are trying to lead through all of what we're experiencing in our world right now, in the church right now trying to start up, trying to get everybody back and gather together again. And they're saying to me, Phil, this is one of the most divisive things the church has experienced since I've been a pastor. And my friends, that's not the way it's supposed to be. This is not only, we not only have division out in our world right now, we've got division in the church of Jesus Christ just trying to have church. We never saw this coming. We have have no idea how to lead through this kind of thing. You need to pray for us on Tuesday night. Our deacons and elders are going to meet. We're going to gather and we're going to try to figure out what are we going to do? Because we have to do what God has called us to do as a church. We're supposed to be gathering and we're going to talk about that. What is the best way to do it, and how should we do it? And everybody's got an opinion. I just gave you mine. Sometimes in all of our opinions, 
we're insensitive to the needs of others around us. Or we make others feel small because they don't think the way we think. And we think being united means un- being unified means unanimity, like we're supposed to like do everything the way you want it done, and I'm, you're supposed to do everything the way I want it done, and that's the only way we can be united. But I want to say something before we jump into all of that. I want to say this to you, my friends. That this, we're talking about the body of Jesus Christ today. We're going to talk about the church and unity in the body. But did you know that God listed down the things that he hates In Proverbs chapter 6, write it down. Make a list of them. Put them on a refrigerator somewhere. Put them on your window because if God decides, I'm going to write down what I hate, you better sit up and listen. And out of the seven things listed that God hates, one of those is the person who stirs up conflict in the community of brothers. There are some versions that say the person or the, or the man who stirs up conflict in the community. That is the, what God, one of the things, one of the seven things that God hates. Well, wait a minute, Phil. Did you read that right? Is it really a person who? You read it yourself. God says, one of the things I hate is a person who stirs up conflict in the community of brothers, and it's listed right there alongside murderers, liars, and all kinds of evildoers. Psalm 133, read it with me. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony, or that word means unity, For harmony or unity is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head and that ran down on his beard and onto the border of his robe. Harmony and unity is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. And there the Lord has pronounced his blessing. And where? Where? On Mount Hermon? Or Mount Zion? No, it is there in harmony. It is there in the subject of unity that the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life everlasting, the scripture says. That is what's on the heart of God our Father and is so wonderful and pleasant to him when brothers live together in unity. I want to take you back now, and this is the rest of our time together, to the Garden of Gethsemane. This is the place where just hours before Jesus was betrayed, before he was arrested, falsely accused, beaten, and crucified on a cross for the sins of all mankind, spent some time speaking to his father. Sort of like Jeremiah was speaking to Almighty God. This is when the Lord was in agony over what he knew was coming because he is God and he knew what is coming and so he's in agony in this time in the garden where he's praying and pouring his heart out to the God and he was, God to, and he was so in agony that an angel came to minister to him while he was, the Bible says, sweating as it were great drops of blood. That's how anxious he was in that moment. There was this struggle, the Bible tells us, of his will against the Father's will. And he, in his humanity, knowing what he was having to take on, was crying out to say, my father, if there is any other way, please remove this cup from me. And he says, basically, remove this that I am going to have to do. And then he does something, and he, he turns and does something that is not human. It's totally divine. He does something that None of us would have done because it's so counterintuitive to our human nature. But in the middle of his sentence where he says, not my will but your will be done, he goes, nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. Uh, The Apostle John in his gospel In the middle of all of that, he's the only one who gives us a glimpse into something else that was on the heart of Jesus that night as he was there praying to his father. And we find it in John chapter 17. So I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles and go to the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the fourth book in the New Testament. 
And I invite you to open to John chapter 17 where we find the high priestly prayer of Jesus and Jesus' final prayer there in the Garden of Gethsemane. While you're turning there, I'm going to take you to Romans chapter 8 because there's two important things that we need to understand are happening for us as believers in Jesus Christ. Romans 8.26 says that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, and I just want to say praise God for that. I'm so thankful that we have a Holy Spirit of God given to us who is the Spirit of Jesus and has been given to us to be our helper and to come alongside of us and help us in our weakness. But the, the subject is in prayer because he goes on to say, for example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. We don't know how we should be praying. We don't know the mind of God. And most of the time, if you're like me, most of the time when you pray, we're going to pray and we want this and we want that and we want him to do this for us and we want him to do that for us. And pretty much it's just our prayers full of requests that we have for God to do for us. A lot of times it's, Lord, make my life better. Um, help me not to do this or help me not to do that. We're, we're all about praying for the things that we really want that are on our heart. And I want you to know that the things that are on your heart mean something to God and he cares about the things that are on your heart. The Lord Jesus cares about the things that are on your heart. And so he's given us the spirit to help us in our weakness for we don't know what to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father, who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And this wonderful thing is going on because if you notice, he prays with groanings that can't be expressed, so he prays in words that we can't pray, and those words are in harmony with the will of God. So we pray, and when we pray, the Holy Spirit begins to pray for us to the Father according to the will of God. That's a marvelous transaction. And I just want you to know that God's will and his provision in your world and in your life is not dependent upon your ability to offer suggestions in prayer to God. If it were, you would fail at every level. Because you don't know how to pray. You're weak in your prayers. So just admit that. The Spirit's job, the Spirit of God's job, is to pick up where, you're, where in your weakness you are insufficient to be able to ask God according to God's will for what's needed in your own life. How awesome is it that we can pray and not know exactly how to pray because right now I don't know how to pray. So many people are talking, the end of the world is coming. It's obvious. All the things that are happening, the end of the world is coming. Okay, what if, let's say it is. What are we supposed to be doing? Are we supposed to be running around like Chicken Little, you know, and like screaming, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, and they gather all kinds of food, and some people suggest... You need to get the church ready, Phil. And I'm like, ready for what? You need to tell them to get all the food they can and, and be holding like a, a dehydrated meal in one hand and a pistol in the other and go buy as much ammunition as you can. That is not what we're called to do. God does not call us and Jesus does not call us to worry about tomorrow. Am I, are you understanding that? Do you, is that brand new news to you? We're not supposed to worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own. We're supposed to be about the work of the Lord right now. What is the work of the Lord for believers? Not for our own self-protection. It's to get out there and give out the gospel in any and every way we can. In fact, if I found out that one year from now, God is going to come and God actually came down and said, I am going to come back and it's going to be the end of time and no one will be able to have a chance. You know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to gather up a bunch of food and ammunition. I'm going to quit my job, and I'm going to go out full time, and I'm going to grab people by the collar, every unsafe person I can, and say, you need to get saved, because God's coming back, like next year at this time, and if you don't get saved, and I'm going to share the gospel with them. But you know what's crazy? Is no one knows the hour. No one knows the time when he's coming back and when he's returning. And we're supposed to be living our lives every single moment. No matter what we're doing, yeah, we got to take care of our families, we got to take care, we got to work hard at our jobs, or we got to provide for our families, but all the rest of the time we're supposed to be out there saying, 
Do you know Jesus because he's coming back? And we don't know when. It could be tomorrow. You might not have tomorrow. You need to know Jesus today because it's going to be too late one of these days. Have you ever been in a situation where you say, I don't even know what to pray for and how to ask God in this circumstance. I'm so mixed up, I can't even think of what to ask God. That is like the best place you can possibly be because then you can go in that posture before the Lord and you can kneel before him and you can say, I don't know what to say to you right now, so please help me know how to pray. And that posture ignites the work of the Holy Spirit and he begins to speak into that and he begins to pray to the Father on your behalf according to God's will, praying for you. But here's what I want you to know here in John chapter 17. That though we ignite the Holy Spirit, we release the Spirit to pray on our behalf when we pray, while that's happening when we pray, when we're not praying, Jesus is praying for us. Hebrews 7.25 says that he, Jesus, lives to make intercession for those who draw near to him. He is always living to make intercession for those of us who believe in him. And in John chapter 17, we see Jesus' prayer for his followers. And he's specifically praying for his disciples during this part of the prayer. But in praying for his disciples who follow him, he's praying for us and all the disciples who will ever follow him. And so that's what he had on his mind when he gets to verse 9 of chapter 17 in his high priestly prayer where he prays, my power is not, my prayer is not for the world, but for those that you have given me because they belong to you. And so what he's saying is, Father, you have given me those that were in the world and you've brought them out of the world and you have now given them to me and I'm going to pray now for them. It's interesting that in the final moments of Jesus' life, he is not praying up this high priestly prayer to God for the salvation of the world. He is not lifting up a prayer to his Father, and what was on his mind was not the entire world, it was his children. It was his church that he had in his mind. I wonder, do you love the things that Jesus loves? If I asked you that question, you'd all say, yeah, absolutely. Well, then you have to love his church. Because that was the last thing that was on his mind. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me. And he requests four specific things. Look at verse 11. The first thing is unity. He says, now I'm departing from the world. In verse 11. I'm getting ready to leave the world. And they are staying in the world, but I'm coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the name or by the power of your name so that they, and here it is, so that they will be united just as we are. At the heart of Jesus, there in the garden, just before his death, unity of his people was at the forefront of his mind. And I just want to say to you, my friends, that's what's important to him and his church. And the, the way that we achieve this unity or oneness is not through self-serving, demanding our own way and throwing a temper tantrum until we get it, until someone actually hears what we want. It's totally the opposite. It's in selfless humility, kindness, loving forbearance, giving patience and sacrificial service to each other that we find this unity. I take you to Philippians chapter 2 where it says if there is any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit, are your hearts tender and compassionate? In other words, do you want all of this within the body of Christ? Well, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking, only, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look, not, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And he finishes with this. You should be imitating Jesus who gave up everything and offered it all for you and for me. He became a servant. He became humble and humbled himself and submitted himself to the will of his Father in order to die for you and for me so that we could be saved from our sin. 
I know it's no surprise to you if I tell you that not all Christians get along. We know how broken we are. <laughs> Wouldn't it be awesome if we, were, we get saved and then we become perfect? It doesn't work that way. We're broken people and we're fickle people and we're not like Jesus, but we're trying to be. Sometimes we are the cause of disunity and disharmony, and disharmony within the body of Christ, within the brothers, and sometimes we actually cause dissension among the brothers because of our selfish attitudes and we want what we want and we want everybody else to give us what we want and agree with us that that is the best thing. I wonder, have you been the cause of discord among brothers and sisters through this whole thing? Man, do we have to check our attitudes and do we have to check our opinions sometimes? Because we can be very hurtful in the things that we say because we believe strongly about a certain thing. If you have caused discord and disunity and disharmony, the question is, are you doing everything you can to fix it? You see, Jesus is praying for you right now on that matter. And he's asking you, he's praying that you would be the one to bring unity and harmony and oneness to his family, that you would lead the way all on your own. You don't wait till the pastor to lead the way. You don't wait for the deacons to lead the way. You don't wait for the life group leaders to lead. You lead the way. That's what he's praying for you right now. Isn't that what you want for your own home? Don't you want that from your kids? How, how proud are you of your kids whenever you see them on their own? They're not being told to do it. You see them hurt their brother or their sister. And because they have a heart that has been trained by the truth, and they have a heart that is sensitive to the family, and they get it, and they understand, and they know that they've hurt their brother or sister, how proud are you of them whenever they go to them and say, you know what, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. Here, you can have the toy, or, or here, you can have the first bite, or whatever it is that they were arguing about. Well, Jesus feels the same way about his family, about how we get along. He wants unity. He also wants joy. Look at verse 12. During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that no one was lost except the one headed for destruction as the scriptures foretold. He's talking about Judas. Judas was selfish. He was a selfish individual. He wanted everything for himself and his whole life was about that. He found that he could get rich off of Jesus' death and he's the one who betrayed Jesus. He goes on to say, now I'm coming to you in verse 13. I, I told them many things while I was with them in this world and here's why, so that they would be filled with my joy. Listen, Jesus is praying that we will live lives that transcend our circumstances, that we live above all that's going on around us. Hey, Phil, hey, Jeremiah, you're supposed to live above all those things that are frustrating you. He's praying that we won't be taken captive or that we won't be taken hostage or caught in the trap of submitting to the will of the wickedness of this world, but that we would submit to God's sovereign, loving, perfect will in our lives. He wants us to have an eternal perspective on our temporal situations, remembering who we are and whose we are and where we are going and that we have a power that no one else has in order to live through all these things in the joy filled with the joy of the Lord. He doesn't want you to forget who you belong to. Here's another thing he prays for. He prays for our protection. In verse 14, I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. And this is so interesting, and you've got to catch this. He then says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. Now, let me just stop and say, some of you right now are saying, man, I wish he would. How many times have I heard in the last couple of weeks, even so come Lord Jesus. Well, your request is not Jesus' request for you. He says to his father, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. 
They don't belong to this world any more than I do. My friends, this world is not the high point of our existence, but we have to live here for a while. While you're here, Jesus is praying for your protection from the evil one. There are people like Jeremiah and me who ask the question, does God even care? Does God even know what's going on in my circumstances? The answer is absolutely he cares. He cares about the things that break your heart and the things that you're concerned about. And Jesus knows more than anyone else that Satan and his minions have their eyes on us, those of us who follow him. And they are seeking ways to kill us and to steal from us and to destroy us, literally to devour us, the scripture says. But he wants to divide us and he wants to divide the church. And he's doing a pretty good job of that division around the world right now. We pray that Jesus would take us out of our trials, but that's not what Jesus is praying. He's praying for your protection as you go through the trials while we're living on this globe. The fourth thing he wants for us is holiness. He says, make them holy by your truth, verse 17. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them, here's why, so that they could be made holy by the truth. Here's, what, here's a couple of theological terms. You want some theological terms? There is the, the, term, the theological term of salvation. That's salvation from hell. Christ made a way so that we didn't have to pay the penalty for our sin. He paid the penalty for our sin. And if we believe in him, we can have eternal life. So salvation is saving us from hell. Glorification is, woohoo! I'm in heaven, okay? Because glorification is the realization of our salvation. But in between salvation and glorification is what's called sanctification, And sanctification is the process of transforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. It is called holiness and holy living, which is what Jesus was asking God, his Father, to make us holy people. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, we are daily being transformed and changed into the image of Jesus. Great man Robert Murray McShane wrote this, it is not great talents that God blesses so much as great likeness to Jesus. A holy minister is an awful weapon in the hand of God. A word spoken by you when your conscience is clear and your heart is full of God's spirit is worth 10,000 words spoken in unbelief and sin. You are a powerful person when you are a holy person. And every day he's sanctifying us. Not by taking us out of the trials that this world brings upon us, but by helping us walk through them while bringing glory to himself as he glorifies himself through you as you are being transformed into the image of his likeness. He's praying, make them holy, make them pure, make them mature, grow them. Father, and make them like me. I just want to pause here to say, listen, Jesus' goal is not to make our path easier, but to make us better and stronger and more dangerous to the enemy. That's his goal. That's his prayer to his Father there in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's not developing an army of passive wussies. He's making a holy horde of righteous kingdom warriors who are supposed to be causing a divine disruption in this dark world. We are to go out there in the name of Jesus with the attitude of humility and love and make an offense, but it is supposed to be an offense to the gospel, not to our selfish attitudes and desiring what we want everyone to to conform to in our little world. If God's people are going to riot and protest, let it be not brother against brother, but against the forces of evil in the spiritual realm, against Satan's hold on this world, and let's go out there and burn down all of his strongholds. 
There is a disease out there that is wiping out entire nations of people, and it's called human depravity. It's called sin, and it is plaguing everyone, and it's destroying millions of lives. And my brothers and sisters, we have the cure. We have the answer. We have the name. It is the name of Jesus. And he's praying that you, my friends, you and me, would rise up in righteousness and be all that he has called us out to be in order to make a difference in the world so that the world will see that the Father sent Jesus to save them from their desperate situation. That's what's going to bring salvation to our world. That's what's going to fix our nation. That's where the unity is. There is harmony in the name of Jesus Christ. And only in him. We so desperately need to see this. And I'm going to wrap it with this. And this means so much to me. That Jesus, we see Jesus' prayer for us. Or you could write Jesus' prayer for me in there. Would you look at verse 20? I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me. Don't miss this. That over 2,000 years ago, Jesus praying in the garden and praying for his disciples before he's going to be crucified had those of us who believe today had our faces in his mind as he was praying for us. And I'm not making that up. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me. My friends, he's praying for you, and he's praying for me while he's in the garden. Robert Murray McShane again writes this, if if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, like if you were just in the next room away from Jesus and you heard him praying for you specifically, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. He is always living to make intercession for those who draw near to him. Hebrews 7.25. How awesome is that? You ought to be shouting right now, praise you, Jesus. Thank you for caring that much about me and you had me on your mind. Right there in the garden, He was looking down through time and had you in his prayer to his Father. He's praying for you in the garden and he's praying for you right now. He's praying for me right now. So, whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? I've got the Holy Spirit praying for me every time I get on my knees and lift my heart to the Lord. And he's praying according to God's will for my life. But I've got Jesus interceding always, every single day, praying for me. The Lord is almighty, and he is on my side. So I will not fear what man can do to me. Bring it on. You can't touch me without his permission and without him knowing all about it. I am his, and he is mine. And if that's the case, then I don't care what happens. Bring it. I will just walk with you in the middle of it. And if it's his will, I will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of my testimony. He wraps his prayer with verse 21 as he says, I pray that they will be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, and here's why, so that the world will believe that you sent me. This circles right back to John 13 where he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We need each other. 
And he knows that, and so he prays that we will be one just like he and his father are one. And that way we don't get picked off so easily because you'll never be walking alone. Jesus is praying for you about that right now and praying for me right now. Father, make them one because there's too much riding on the unity of my church. This world needs them to be unified so that they can see that there is something different that nobody can find out in the world except in the body of Jesus Christ. Verse 22, he says, I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. So may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. I close with one more quote from Robert Murray McShane. Unfathomable oceans of grace are in Christ for you. Dive and dive again. You will never come to the bottom of these depths. How many millions of dazzling pearls and gems are at this moment hidden in the deep recesses of his ocean caves? My friends, the spiritual adventures are going to accelerate. and We need to make note of that. And my biggest fear is that I would lack the courage to chase the Holy Spirit with abandon into the great unknown of the future, into the great unknown of tomorrow. How massive would the opportunity loss be if I shrink back and I fail to go? Who might not hear the Savior's voice because my voice doesn't sound like his because I haven't aligned my life to live like he wants me to live? Who might remain chained in despair And in their sin, because I didn't serve up the Holy Spirit's hope of freedom for them. Who might not launch into exhilarating and effective ministry because I shrank back from the front lines when I should have advanced in the face of the enemy's attack. No, my friends, you're listening to a broken, fickle man who is resolved to live his Christian experience out loud to the best of his ability in all humility and love and the unity of the bond of peace. My dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let me pray for you. Father, I just pray for all of us in your family, not just First Baptist Church. I'm talking about the church of Jesus Christ around the world. That you would somehow, by your Spirit today, not just for those listening in on this sermon, but that your spirit today would touch our hearts and help us understand that the the dearest thing to your heart is the unity of your people. And then help us model that within the church all the way through all of the pain of this global shutdown that we're in the middle of. That we might see your hand at work in it And we'll follow you right into the dark places with the glorious light of the gospel to make a difference for you. But unify our hearts, especially in the next days to come, so that the world will know. They'll see our great love for each other and know that we are followers of you and will bring glory to your name and they will be drawn to the great love they see that we have for each other. And I pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Hey, listen, my brothers and sisters, um, God bless you. Um, As you go through this week, I plead with you that you would lean into prayer 
for us on Tuesday night at 5.30 as the deacons and elders combine together to ask the Lord's wisdom and how we should move forward as a church. And then we will come back with you, uh, to you with a report on that. There's something cool happening tonight um, for the Macklemore family. And please be praying for Don Macklemore. Um, he's having a very hard time. And uh, they've moved hospice into the house. And he's just really wrestling with this cancer. We don't know the future. He doesn't either. But they're trusting in the Lord. And, and Amy... Um, Amy Helmuth, their daughter, is putting together a drive-by tonight. And so if you want in on that, I think they're meeting at 7 o'clock at Sugar Grove Church um, to do a drive-by greeting and just love on them. And I'm so proud of the way that you're loving on each other during this time. Continue to do that. Uh, Reach out to those who are in need and meet those needs. And uh, we'll be back to you soon with a report on what the future looks like. Until then, let's go in the love and Uh, compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ as we move around in our world. God bless you, my friends. for joining us for our worship service online today. Our hope is that the worship and teaching has stirred your affections for Jesus Christ and has inspired you to love God, love others, and influence our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you made a spiritual decision today or if you just want prayer with somebody, would you click on our connection card link and there you can find the help that you need. Also, we encourage you if you haven't already, Download our church app from the App Store today so that you can connect with us in that way and the many different tools that it offers. As always, our website offers a host of opportunities and resources for you, and you can find that at fbcalcart.org. Hey, thank you again for joining us today. We'll see you right back here next week. See ya.